At Jared, we know devotion isn't a once-a-year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted. Blog Talk Radio. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Troy Noons and Absolute Podcast. Syracuse sports make me drink. Sorry for not being ready for that. Still have to get used to the new system. Uh, I know we have several of the people on the line. It no longer tells me where you're calling from, so I can't use geographical clues to figure it out. I'm here. Hello, Dan. How's it going? Good, you? Not bad. I kind of like that countdown they give us. It makes me feel like I'm in the 100 game. <laughs> Being unleashed on the on the rest of the radio world after the five-second countdown. <laughs> and you've got uh, you got Chris uh, from The Daily Gopher with you as well. Hello, Chris. How are you? Doing well. Doing well. Just enjoying a relaxing holiday. Nice. I'll be... En route to mine later tonight, and then I'll be working tomorrow anyway, so not really going to matter. Oh. oh, well. That's so good. Working from home isn't the worst thing in the world. Especially no. it'll only be like no. a half no. day. So. Working from home in Southern California. <laughs> yeah, it's um. It's supposed it's to be 80 degrees on uh, Christmas. Yeah, it's currently negative 18 normal temperature and below negative 30 with wind chill right now. So I, I don't think you can complain too much. We've had it easy out here. It's been like 60 in the New York City area the last couple of days. So good. Can't and uh, wife's trying to convince me to, to uh, bring a bathing suit to her uncle's house for Christmas. The Northeasterner in me just can't. Just can't accept that as a possibility. <laughs> the Midwestern doesn't in me doesn't uh, have any idea what you're talking about. Bathing suits are something that we pack away in about September. Yeah, I, uh, between that and all the uh, all the palm trees that lights on them, definitely uh, definitely can't subscribe to Southern California Christmas just yet. <laughs> And Matt was going to join us, but why don't we kind of hop in since we're on Blog Talk, we're on a much more uh, fixed kind of time range. Um, so, Chris, thanks again for joining us uh, to chat uh, some Texas Bowl. So, so the big news tonight, Syracuse won the uh, Rodeo Bowl. That's a, that's a hard oh, to do. Oh, that's good disappointing. Thing I, was hoping, I was hoping the Gophers would go two for two in the Rodeo Bowl. <laughs> Wonder if it was yes, the same I had my... That opened to the Texas Bowl feed, like I was following some kind of major, uh, like American event. Um, a, because I wanted to see what ridiculous things the two teams were doing, and B, because Syracuse apparently won like all but one event, and C, because I was hoping someone would give me a GIF or a video of Ivan Foy dancing, which didn't hasn't happened yet. So I'm hoping the Texas Bowl slash SU Athletics uh, YouTube team is is on, you know, working on that because. If we don't get a, a video of Ivan Foy doing some ridiculous dance, uh, this is all for naught. Yeah, so what do they have this year? They have the dance contest, or they have the uh, calf roping. Um, there's, that's actually the only two I remember, actually, from last year. I know there are others. They had dancing, calf roping, lassoing. They lassoed the mascots, um, branding. Uh, oh, that's right. But I don't, how did they judge branding? I don't even remember. I have no clue. It didn't make much sense. <laughs> like, I think they branded like the, the school logos, but I'm not sure how the how the judging works. Um, and then they had a hay a, uh, a hay toss, and uh, Minnesota won. The there was like some kind of like taking a flag off a running bull or something. I don't know, not a bull, a cow or calf or something. I don't know. I, I I'm not a not, I'm not used to these these uh, Texan events. I, I couldn't really tell. Make it, you know. Assume what they are, but look like fun. 
Good deal. And I, uh, it's been a year of transition for Syracuse. First, we had to do all these southern things, then we made everybody else do all these New York things. Now we're doing Texas things. It's just a lot of a lot of transition. I'm sure there's some people, myself included, that still miss the old uh, Big East uh, lobster eating contest. Yeah, that is a right. shame that we don't do that anymore. Did they still do it at? Well, they never did it at the basketball media days, right? No, that was the football thing. I think the American did it this year because they still have their, for for whatever reason, they still have their offices <laughs> in Providence. Um, so I'm pretty sure they yeah. did it. Yeah. <laughs> That's dumb. One of my favorite like, little things about the conference realignment is that the American's like, no, we're not going to change. We're just going to stay in Providence. There's no reason for us to stay in Providence, but we like it here. I don't think the I don't think the Big Ten does anything quite that exciting when it comes to the media days. No no eating contests that I can recall. Which the is sad. I, I feel like every day in Big Ten countries the cheese eating contest though. Well, uh, it depends where you're talking. As a Minnesotan, I, I live in Madison. I agree because I like cheese and there's a lot of it around me. But then again, that's a Wisconsin thing, so I don't want to claim it too too you know too hard. Fair enough. I guess we'll actually get to the game at hand. Uh, Dan, I don't know if you have any questions, but I figured I'd I had Chris field a few questions since I know everyone listening has kind of heard us talk about Syracuse quite a bit um, over the course of the season. But um, I know Minnesota doesn't have a ton of injuries, Chris. Uh, what would you say? Uh, is there one thing lingering in your mind um, as, as something to be concerned about? Is there an injury that maybe we don't have on our radar that, that is something that Syracuse fans might want to read up on before the game starts? Um, you know, on the injury front, Minnesota is doing pretty well. The injuries that they've had, uh, that they, that they've sustained, have. have I don't. I, this sounds wrong. I mean, it's not good that these were serious injuries, but they were the kind of injuries where the guy is gone, you know, and and they happened earlier in the year. Uh, so at this point, um, unless there's something undisclosed um, that you know they haven't really gotten to yet as a coaching staff sharing with everyone, um, you know, we are where we are when it comes to injuries. Um, uh, you know, that's so. There's anything lingering. Um, you know, I no, I, I don't really have anything else in that front. I'm trying to think. I'm racking my brain in case I'm forgetting anybody. But no, I mean the 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 the, the players we've had down the stretch are the players we've had. The, the injury that hurt us a lot um, at the end of the year was we lost uh, wide receiver Derek Engel. Uh, Derek Engel was the primary pass catcher. Uh, and he went down with a knee injury. He was a senior, um, and so he's done, unfortunately, for his career. There was some hope that it might be, um, you know, something he could recover for for the bowl game, but that's that's not going to happen. So um, in that respect, you know, that injury does make Minnesota um, younger uh, in the wide receiver position uh, and, and definitely puts pressure on the wide receivers and tight ends to step up. But that's a position they've been in for a couple weeks at the end of the year. Uh, and isn't uh, anything brand new. I guess who would you say is kind of like, I mean, there's a lot, you guys have obviously had a lot of success on both sides of football. Who would you say is, is the player that Syracuse has to stop at all costs? Um, I'd say the, for the best chance of success, if you can take running back David Cobb and hold him completely in check, um, that would be a big blow um, to Minnesota. Um, the Gophers uh, have really established the run as their primary offensive, um, you know, uh, not, not skill focus. I mean, they run the ball. Oh, God. Stats escape me, but I want to say it's something like almost 70% of the time. Like, they really run the ball. And David Cobb has been by far the future back um, for the Gophers. Um, I don't think he's the most important player for the Minnesota side of things. I think that's quarterback Philip Nelson. Um, I think I think if Phil gets uh, going and is able to get on track and um, and really start completing passes, I think that's what would really hurt Syracuse. But I don't think he's what who you'd have to focus on stopping because really for for Phil towards the end of the year, it's been more about him stopping himself. Um, you know, they faced two really good defenses in uh, Wisconsin and Michigan State down the stretch, uh, and in both games. Um, he was in positions where he had the time to make a play, 
Uh, he had the wide receiver or the tight ends that were getting open and getting separation, uh, and he, he wasn't making the throws. Um, but that's why I think David Cobb is more the guy to stop. He's been consistent. He's been solid. First 1,000-yard uh, rusher, oh, this is sad given how, our, our rushing history, but first 1,000-yard rusher for the Gophers since 2006, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and he was able to get his 100 yards against strong rushing defenses like Michigan State uh, and, um, and Wisconsin. And Dan, I know we've talked about it um, over on our side. You know, SU is the only team in the country um, to not give up a, a 100-yard rusher. Now, I guess first looking at it from Syracuse's side, like, do you think that that's on their mind? Do you think that do you think that our um, our accomplishment there is a result of um, you know facing teams that either don't run the ball a ton or run the ball with multiple backs? Or do you think that this, that this Syracuse run D, as it currently looks, not as it ideally would look, um, you know, is is kind of suited to, to stop this, this go for rushing attack? Uh, I think the run D is very good. Um, currently ranked 28th in the country, so I, I don't think um, that stat is totally valid. Only because you know Georgia Tech ran all over us. Just one guy didn't happen to eclipse that, you know, fairly arbitrary number. Um, and then, you know, Florida State goes out in a 100-yard die if their players played it, you know, the second half. Um, but overall, when it hasn't been a team that, A, we, we just weren't ready for, obviously, with Georgia Tech or, you know, an elite-type uh, unit like Florida State, uh, the, de- the Russian defense has been very good. And obviously, Minnesota, I pulled up the stats. Um, I know you were citing the, the percentage. It looks like they, they run it about 64% of the time, um, like a staggering, that's a staggering percentage of uh, of rushes for the season. Um, like I said, I think last time, Minnesota seems to know exactly what it wants to do on offense. Uh, kind of different from Syracuse where we've seen some, um, you know, missed, either miscommunications or just, you know, we haven't really quite gotten to a place at some point this year where the <laughs> offense knows exactly what it wants to be. Minnesota, you know, from wow. out Excuse me? Uh, well, Minnesota, from like an outsider's perspective, looks like it just really knows it wants to rush the ball and pound it. And, and um, you know, Syracuse knows that on defense, maybe it'll do a good job, but obviously this is a strong unit um, that Minnesota's going to throw out there and Cobb's a very good back. So even if, even if they don't hold him to under 100, I think Syracuse should have a decent shot at containing him, but I don't know if we can expect him to get held to like 65 yards or something. That definitely makes sense to me. Uh, Matt, is that you on the line? <laughs> it is. How are you guys? Sorry, I had you muted there for a little while. <laughs> I think uh, my uh, a conversation I was having off off air may have made it on air, so I apologize for that. <laughs> Not a worry. Um, so I guess to, to rope you in, we were just kind of. You know, talking through the Syracuse run defense and kind of just the huge emphasis on the run that, that Minnesota has and how those two things um, could potentially clash. Um, but I guess we can kind of move on to the other side now. You know, Minnesota has a pretty, I think, sound defensive front overall. Um, and, you know, I think, Chris, if you want to kind of break down for us, like what I – mean, obviously there are a lot of – there are a lot of, you know, pro-caliber players, I think, at least, in that front seven. But, but, you know, what makes it tick? What should we be looking out for? Is this a really blitz-heavy group? Or are you guys just really good at generating, um, you know, standard pressure? You know, it's come and gone. Um, there have been games where, um, you know, Nebraska comes to mind, where the, the front uh, four were able to generate pressure on their own um, without blitzes. Um, it, it, a defensive coordinator and uh, interim head coach, uh, uh, Tracy Clays, you know, they're not afraid to blitz. He will gamble. He will bring pressure from, you know, corners and, and even safeties. But um, it's not it's not as much as a, of a focus for them this year as it had been when they weren't. They, they gambled a lot more when they weren't able to play. If they played you straight up, you would beat them. 
Um, that was the first year. That was even last year. And this year, they've grown into a much more um, sound fundamentally uh, and just, um, well, I don't really just fundamentally defense because against uh, Wisconsin, for instance, Wisconsin's running game is, is, is very difficult to stop. You're going to get yourself in a lot of positions, even if you play it well, where your defensive backs are going to have to make the tackle. And if they don't make the tackle, if they take a bad angle, uh, if they aren't sound with their tackling, that running back is going to get a touchdown or is going to get a lot of yards before one of the other defensive backs can come off. Um, and against uh, against Wisconsin, uh, Minnesota was very sound in that regard. They didn't you know, they they didn't let themselves get blown up or drawn in or take bad angles. And I think that's been a big difference for them. Is you know even if they're just staying with a base defense and not doing anything especially especially exotic, they're able to execute um, even against offenses that are known for doing something very well. That's not to say they, that that makes them sound like a world-beating defense, and they are not. They're still not where they need to be uh, athletically with some of the players. Um, there are definitely still um, mismatches to be found, and, and you can you can move the ball on them. Um, but it's been impressive as a Minnesota fan to watch a team uh, come out on the defensive side and do things that we just haven't seen for quite a while um, in terms of um, you know, not having to do anything exotic uh, and, and still be able to get pressure. Um, I, I'd say the uh, the name you've probably already, everyone's probably already heard by now, Rasheed Hegman. He's going to be the inside force. I wouldn't necessarily look to him to create all the uh, pressure on the quarterback. Uh, as a defensive tackle, he typically draws a lot of attention given his size and skill set, uh, potential first-round pick in the upcoming draft. Um, from the outside, uh Defensive end, uh, Tieran Cochran, has actually been a, a real disruptor. Um, he's forced oh, – I have to pause that. I should have pulled the stats up before we was t- were talking, but he led the team in the force fumbles. I think it was with four. Um, and he's the guy who really uh, helps create pressure on the quarterback. Um, and I'm just interested to see, you know, how they stack up against a, a team they won't have – you know, they have a lot of time to prepare for, um, but not as much familiarity with uh, and, and see if they're still able to um, handle things out of a more base look or if maybe Clays decides to get creative and dial something up um, that's, that maybe Syracuse won't have on tape. And I think for me at least, um, you know, I, I think we've been pleasantly surprised on our side by our offensive line, but I guess I do worry a little bit um, you know, what happens I mean, we're virtually healthy on the offensive line, but what happens if, if that young group gets tested with something they haven't seen before? Um, and, and I don't know if that's, that's a concern that everybody shares. I know, Matt, let you weigh in here. Um, do you feel like, like our offensive line is going to be able to hold up against uh, Minnesota's defensive front? Do you feel like there's another bigger concern we need to have that we haven't covered off on yet? I, you know, I think that um, – I, to go back a little bit, I think, on the whole Syracuse giving up a 100-yard rusher, if we could just for a second, because I do agree there are some, you know, there are some discernible issues for Syracuse that, that could play a role uh, in this game. But um, it is funny how, you know, I see the only team, I guess, right, that hasn't given up a 100-yard rusher this year. But Georgia Tech easily would have done that had it had a concentrate of just one running back. You know, granted, it's kind of gimmicky, but then Clemson or Florida State, could have easily done the same to Syracuse. So while the defense has vastly improved this year over the course of the 12 games, and while it is an accomplishment for sure to not have given up a 100-yard rusher, it is a little misleading in the sense that SU was kind of just and beaten up pretty soundly by Clemson and Florida State. So I think, yeah, SU's defense is, is certainly, the front seven especially, is a sound unit and will be key to this game. But let's not act like teams, you know, especially with a decent amount of talent and, and, you know, offensive line play couldn't do something against the Orange defense. It certainly can be done. And Georgia Tech proved that in its variety of attack. And Clemson and Florida State probably would have done so had they, you know, had those two teams needed to really run the ball. I think that would have happened there. So that should be at least somewhat of a concern for Syracuse, but, uh, or at least the Syracuse fan base as this game gets closer. I do think, however, um, in terms of areas to look out for, offensive line, always an issue for Syracuse. always wonder what's going to happen, especially in the pass-protect situation.
situation. Run block, I think SU's offensive line has produced pretty well all season for the most part, at least competitively, but pass protect has been an issue. I think what we saw against Boston College for Syracuse was fantastic in all facets of the game offensively. And I think, and that's what we wrote when, you know, in John's um, questions for the week regarding the bowl game, that I'll go on the site, I'm sure, I think maybe later this week, maybe Thursday. Uh, these three weeks of practice are just fantastic for everybody, for the line, and specifically for Terrell Hunt, who looked great against BC, who showed some signs of life late in the season. And with an extra three weeks, for all the tangible qualities that you can pick up on or at least work on with three weeks of practice, just an extra three weeks of practice, or even a month, really, if you go to the end of the BC game, a month of just being the man. It was all season, you know, for what, outside of two games, Terrell Hunt was the guy. But now that it's totally ingrained and he had that come-from-behind win and he gets the team to a bowl game, on top of it you get three extra weeks of practice. There's a kind of a unquantifiable concept to being the man. And Hunt's now the man, and it's been known – especially after what he did against uh, BC for these last few weeks. So I think that's going to be huge for, the, for this game going forward. Not to de- defer or deter the, uh, the question, John, but I, I think that uh, these three weeks of practice, I'm really excited to see how, of all the things, and there's plenty to look for, I'm excited to see how Hunt kind of evolves with the way he played against BC and then um, just being able to knowingly, confidently be the man in practice these last three weeks. It's going to be fun to see because it's officially his team, although it was officially before, but now having proven it on the field in a huge clutch game situation the way he did, it's going to be fun to watch. And you bring up a good point there, and I guess I'll jump back over to Chris. Um, What have you guys seen, like kind of dissecting um, a quarterback, Terrell Hunt? How do you see uh, the Minnesota secondary challenging him? Do you see them challenging him? Um, I know we talked about um, on your podcast last week uh, just in general how, you know, Hunt does under pressure, um, how he's been really improved as a passer. I guess, like, you know, what what are your big positives and negatives that you've seen, like, looking over his stat sheets and maybe some tape? Um, I'll be honest, the end of my uh, week before the holiday was crazy, so I didn't get to really watch much of Syracuse's film I think from from a defensive secondary perspective, it's going to be it's just going to be important for them to not get um, out of position and make simple mistakes. Keeping keeping the play in front of them and not getting beat long. That we are not the strongest um, or the deepest. We would really be in the secondary. And there are going to be um, opportunities to pick on them if you get one-on-one coverage um, because the athleticism is not quite there. Eric Murray, uh, as a cornerback, I wouldn't be worried about him at all. Um, I think he, he's matched up well against the best receivers uh, in the conference, at least from the teams that um, the Gophers have faced. He did well against Allen Robinson from Penn State. Um, so on that side of things, you know, I'm not too worried. Safety play, you know, uh, it, can, it depends on where they're at. If they get sucked in on the run, you know, then we could have problems. Um, I, I would say if I was worried about anything, I'd be more concerned about um, the running defense. They did well against Michigan State. They did well against Wisconsin. But I still think, on the whole, um, that is, has been a weakness. I mean, we allowed Indiana to run quite a bit on us. Yes, it was a change of pace for them, so I think there was some film, you know, issue where they were expecting a lot of passing, and, and, and down the stretch, Indiana gave us a, a large dose of run. Um, but on the whole, I always worry more about, can they stop the run first? If they're stopping the run, I, I feel like the pass defense kind of comes into its own. If they're not stopping the run, then the safety start getting sucked in, and we start having problems. Now I know I saw a couple um, a couple commenters from Daily Gopher, both on your site and on News Magician, um, both kind of mentioned um, that it seems like running the ball between the tackles is, is something that's worked against Minnesota several times over. Uh, do you think that's true? Um, is that something that that has really been, you know, the key to the key to teams really breaking through that Minnesota line, or or have have teams seen some success on the perimeter? 
And I apologize. If you could just repeat the question real quickly. I, um, I'm at my folks' house, and their phone went off, and it kind of droned you out for a second. Sure, no worries. Um, I was just saying, I know um, I've seen a couple of members of the Daily Gover community um, say, both on your site and on News Magician, that um, a lot of teams have seen success running the ball between the tackles against you guys. I, mean, I was just wondering if that's definitely the case. Um, do you feel like um, teams have been able to run around the edge, or just have they not bothered? Um, just wanted to verify for us, as I know, um, at least on our side, we, we, we implore this team to run the ball between the tackles, and they never seem to do it. Yeah, that, and I think that's – I think it's a fair worry. Um, getting out in space, I mean, honestly, I, I always – I think we're a year away from me not being concerned about any uh, facet of the run game. Last year's problem was the linebackers couldn't get free off of blocks. Uh, and so that you could really cause problems if you could get into that level. This year the linebackers are doing a better job, but we're still not quick enough and athletic enough to always make plays on the outside. They do have the talent to do it, but if they do anything a little bit wrong, wrong angle, um, not not sound uh, about how they're um, seeing the play develop and they're a little late getting there, the outside is available. Um, that said, you know, it's not like they're world beaters up the middle either. I mean, Wisconsin was getting yards. The difference was that the defense got stout in the red zone, something that they've been pretty good with all year. Um, you know, I, I think the big thing is for the Gophers is limiting big plays, and that's been a big thing all year. If they can eliminate big plays, force an offense to grind it out, it really plays into the overall style of game that the Gophers want. They want the clock to run. They want to, to um, you know, minimize the amount of drives that the opposing team has. Yes, that can be tiring on the defense if they allow it to happen too frequently. Um, but giving up big plays, when they give up big plays, uh, they get on their heels a little bit, and then things can get a little bit dicey, um, just depending on how the offense for the opponent is clicking. This actually sounds like a pretty similar strategy to uh... – but Pittsburgh, doesn't it, Dan? Just a bit, um, and and I think I, I don't. I wouldn't say. I, I don't know. We've been talking about um, how Minnesota and Syracuse actually kind of mirror each other, and while I don't think um, that kind of you know whole you know run down the clock and limit the clock um, is necessarily what Syracuse tries to do this year. I think in years past, like in 2009, 2010, that definitely was an aim. Um, this year, I think, you know, we've seen the offense pitch it up a little bit, especially in that BC game. Um, we ran a ton of plays. Uh, so I think those two identities will clash a little bit. But in terms of personnel and general offensive strength uh, and defensive strength, I think the two teams are very similar. Um, hopefully this game doesn't go like that pit game because that was terrible. But uh, I, I'm actually looking forward to see um, what the – what George McDonald and company draw up because there are kind of two schools of thought in terms of, of the strength of, of Syracuse's running game going into this. Uh, Jerome Smith, as we know now, um, despite earlier this month saying he was coming back, is now uh, pretty much officially going to the NFL. Um, so he could really be a showcase guy. And, and you know, you were just talking about Minnesota possibly being uh, vulnerable up the middle. Well, that's Jerome Smith you know, world right there. And if he's going to try to use this last nationally televised game as as a stepping stone, you know, you could see him have a, a big day like DeLon Carter had one in the pinstripe bowl in 2010. On the other hand, these 15 practices are usually beneficial for the younger players, and we've seen George Morris and Devonta McFarland expand their roles, and they're obviously more well-suited to run to the outside. So I'm kind of interested to see what direction we take the running game in this week, um, whether it's going to be Jerome Smith's you know, last day to shine as an Orangeman or it's going to be about the new guys who have had all these practices to really cut their teeth and, and become more of a focal point of the offense or a mix of both because, you know, last year in the Penn State Bowl, both running backs did huge things uh, between – Smith and, and Prince Dyson Jolly, who's apparently not in the injury report this week, so he might play too. Um, so it should be interesting. I, I'm always intrigued to see how teams look after a month off and after all these practices because it seems like sometimes they come out and look a little different than we, what we saw during the year. 
Uh, 2010 was a really good example of that, where Syracuse couldn't find the end zone all season and put 36 points up on Kansas State, um, with throwing flea flickers and bombs to Marcus Sales. So uh, I think it should be a fun one, um, and I think it should be a pretty even matchup based on on the two teams and what we know about them right now. And you, you brought up an interesting point there, and then, uh, Chris, how have you how have the Gophers done against hurry up offenses? Because I know. And I'm guilty of it myself, kind of talking up the run game a lot with this team. But, I mean, we're obviously not a no huddle by any means. But but, but I do think that this, this hurry-up offense um, does present some interesting challenges at times. And if we're clicking, and that's no guarantee there, of course. But if we are clicking, um, we've seen a lot of success. I don't know if Minnesota is really – have they faced a ton of, of hurry-up this year? Or, um, uh, admittedly, I haven't I watched too much Big Ten football. <laughs> they haven't faced a ton. Um, Indiana would be the pinnacle of playing that hurry-up game, and they definitely do struggle against it um, if it's being executed well. Um, I mean, Indiana, to give you a sense, Indiana went into the fourth quarter of the game against uh, Minnesota down 23 points um, and were in the lead uh, up until the final minutes. They They stormed back quickly. Um, that had a lot to do, like I said, with them taking an entirely different approach offensively than they've been putting on film. Not entirely different. I mean, they they had shown the ability to run, but they hadn't shown that that that's what they would go to when they're down 23 at the beginning of the fourth quarter. Um, but prior to that, even though Minnesota was building a lead and had been having some success at getting the stops in the bend-don't-break way, um, when Indiana was clicking and Indiana was moving the ball, you know, it was quite clear that that was uh, an area that Minnesota needed to be concerned about. Um, when teams have moved to a no-huddle against us, I never feel really good about it. It does make me nervous. Um, it, it isn't something that I'd like to see Syracuse do a lot of. Um, it'd be awesome if Syracuse wanted to huddle up and take a lot of that 40-second clock and run the ball um, because I think that plays more into what Minnesota is, is looking for. Um so if that is something that, you know, they're able to execute coming out of the practices, um, I think it could be a good luck um, for trying to keep Minnesota's defense on, on its heels. All right. That was definitely good to know. I'm actually surprised that I haven't brought it up at this point with anyone. Um, so thanks again for that point, Dan. Um, I guess we've reached about the midway point, so before we get into some drinks, I know that uh, – Prisoner, you had to probably bounce out around the halfway mark. Just go around the room and uh, everyone give some thoughts. We'll start with you, Matt. Uh, quick, quick hot sprouts take and uh, and a score prediction, if you could. A quick uh, what take? Sorry. Using a joke from Sean. We use we use that one too. So I got what you I got what you were saying there. <laughs> Uh, as far as the game, um, oh yeah, I think I think that uh, I think it'll be close. I think it's going to come down to some crazy type of bowl game scenarios. It's either going to be way more offensively explosive than anyone expects, or special teams will play a role. I'm thinking special teams. I think Ryan Norton's going to be a big factor in this one, and uh, I think that both teams will kind of almost cancel each other out, given that. In a lot of ways, they're they're very similar. We've talked about some of those uh, facets tonight and how offensively and defensively they they kind of match up a little bit. So I'm gonna go with I'm gonna go with Syracuse. Probably a homer pick, but I don't really try to be on this. I think that the Orange, given its play in the BC game and maybe just the latter part of the portion of the season, you know, and maybe in a lot of ways Syracuse is kind of a decent Big Ten team, and uh, therefore I think SU. I don't know, you know, Dan may be breaking news there about Prince Tyson Gully, which is fantastic. But uh, with Jerome Smith, the other young guys that got in, offensive line, some senior play. And again, it just it sounds stupid and, and too simple, but uh, I think Terrell Hunt maybe gets SU into enough scoring opportunities in the red zone, whether it be touchdowns or field goals. So, I'm, you know, it'll be close, and I would not be shocked if Minnesota wins, but I'll go Syracuse 27-24. All right. Dan, what say you? I I have no idea what's going to happen in this game. Um, I, the last two bowl games, I didn't expect 
the offensive uh, numbers that we saw, um, and I kind of outlined, you know, earlier uh, why that was, um, and most of that was obviously Syracuse last year, as opposed to you know West Virginia didn't do much. But um, so I'm kind of tempted to go with Matt on this and say, while the numbers look like it should be like a you know, 21 to 18 or 17 game. I, I feel like we're going to get a little more offense down in Houston. So I'm going to go with the I can't decide who I want to take, so I'm just going to take the homer pick. Uh, and I'll take Syracuse 31-28 in a close one. Um, but I don't have any reason to back that up. Uh, I just like oh, That's what I'm doing. <laughs> All right. Uh, how about you, Chris? I can respect the. Um, you know what? I'm just going to go with the uh, the Homer pick. I, I've been there myself, and we we I think we kind of sit around the Daily Gopher that in many ways it feels like uh, Syracuse is kind of a little bit where Minnesota was a year ago. Um, not in terms of just where they are with coaching staff for, for Minnesota was year two, but um, just starting to figure themselves uh, out as far as what kind of team they're going to be. And it does make it really hard to make picks sometimes. I, last year I just kind of made stuff up a lot because um, I really didn't know what team was going to come out. So totally respect the homer pick. Um, from my perspective, I think it's going to be a good game. I think there are Minnesota fans um, who, if they still haven't done a lot of looking into what Syracuse has accomplished, are just going to look at 6-6 six and six in the ACC and say, oh, Gophers should win by two touchdowns at least. I really don't think that's what's going to happen. If Philip Nelson is really coming out and he's executing at a high level given the struggles in the secondary that you know you, you seem to have had. I could see that happening. I certainly don't think that's um, an impossible position for Minnesota to end, uh, end up in winning by two touchdowns. I really, really just don't expect it. That's just not – I think that's asking a bit much um, given what we saw at the end of the year. What I do expect is uh, a little more scoring than, than folks might think. Um, and I do think Minnesota will have what it takes to pull away uh, down the stretch. I think they'll, in many ways, like you said, it, Syracuse is kind of a Big Ten team. They're very similar uh, to several Big Ten teams that Minnesota has faced, at least in terms of uh, Minnesota offense versus Syracuse defense, and I think in that regard, Minnesota's going to be able to game plan well and come out and execute enough to um, pull away. I, I wish I could remember what I picked last week on the hangout uh, for consistency's sake, and we're just going to throw consistency out the window, and I'm going to say uh, 27-20 um, Minnesota um, with uh, Syracuse uh, having a chance to do something late in Minnesota's defense uh, standing strong. I, I got a lot of respect for that. I think last week you might have gone a little bit wider of a margin, but, um, you know, I think anything in kind of the, like, 7-12 to 12 range is probably fair. Um uh, I, I'm going to play the role of Matt McCluskey this week and, and pick against Syracuse. So, so, so really looking forward to, to all of Matt's typical detractors and the comments coming after me. Uh, <laughs> Get ready, John. It's coming. It's coming. Pinata time. Um, you know what? Um, I, I I've spent enough time talking to the guys over the Daily Gopher that it does seem like there's just a lot of parallels between our team this year and their team last year. Um, I do think we have some things left to figure out, um, and that's not a bad thing either. Um, I've, obviously, I'd love to be seven and six, and you know, have two straight winning records, which is something we haven't done in over a decade. But um, I, I just think that maybe um, this Minnesota team might be a little too physical up front, and if we're not throwing the ball um, as well as we were against BC, we've seen we've seen the other side of that coin. We've seen it really recently against Pitt. Um, so I. I I think it's going to be a close game, but I, I unfortunately think that uh, Syracuse is going to come out on the losing end, but barely. And you know what? I'm, again, not voting, not hoping for it. I, I just think that we'll actually end up learning a lot about this squad, and I think it'll be a real, it'll be a real good growing moment for them, um, and it's something that we can really build on next year um, against what should be um, maybe even a more, um, a more manageable schedule than we had in 2013. So, if anything else, I think this is more of a positive um, remark that, you know, one loss isn't going to kill us. It might actually help us out a lot. Um, so, I'm actually going to uh, say Minnesota 28, Syracuse 20. Way to honor your contract, John. 
It's our spot. <laughs> All right. So uh moving on to booze. Uh Chris, uh feel free to talk beer, bourbon, whatever it was that you drank this past week. Uh yeah, I brought bourbon with me tonight. Um bourbon's kind of our thing at the Daily Gopher. Uh and tonight I'm drinking the Four Roses single barrel. It's my favorite um kind of go to sipper. I'm actually lucky I found a place in Madison that sells it about uh, 10 to $12 below normal normal retail um, in most places. So for me, it be- makes it a little bit easier to to look at it and go, yeah, I can drink a little more of that versus, oof, I don't want to spend the money. i got to put that back on the shelf. So I got lucky, and that's what I brought for Christmas. <laughs> nice. Maybe, uh, maybe we'll start getting a bourbon around here. You never know. I'm not, I'm not really against any type of alcohol other than vodka. Oh. Yeah, and I'm not and I'm not against beer. I, I I can just speak a little bit better about bourbon than I can about beer. Beer, I just yeah, this is good or not so good. Oh, absolutely. And I just mean as far as us, I, I know that we have we definitely have some um, some spirits drinkers. I don't necessarily, other than Aaron, um, I don't think they're very vocal, but but I'm sure that they'll start coming out of the woodwork. Maybe. I mean, I'm not the person to lead that charge, but maybe somebody else is in the comments. Uh, Dan, how about yourself? Um, well, I can go on both sides of this. Uh, the other night, I was out doing the whole, like, oh, hey, everyone's back in town from their job slash school thing. Um, and I was throwing back uh, some Knob Creek, speaking of bourbon, uh, which is always good. I enjoy bourbon, actually. That's pretty much been my go-to liquor uh, the last couple months, I, I usually kind of end up like rotating through things, but I, I've kind of stuck with bourbon the last, uh, you know, pretty much since the fall uh, when I'm not drinking beer. So I'm, I'm in full support of that. Um, on the beer side, I went and had some Harpoon Chocolate Stout uh, this past week. Um, the chocolate, all that, the flavored beers like that, chocolate flavors and, and coffees and other things like that are really hit or miss for me, um, depending on on how they utilize the flavors. I think some just do go way overboard with it, and some, you know, you can barely tell. But uh, as I'm, I like the Harpoon stuff in general, and, and their chocolate set was pretty nice. It wasn't too overpowered. It had a, it was, you know, just kind of a nice uh, hint, aftertaste, what, uh, and a, a really drinkable stout. So um, I enjoyed that. Uh, that was probably the only I, – I had a couple other things. I can't remember what they were off the top of my head, and I didn't check into them on Untapped. So I'll try to remember those. But that was the one I uh, that sticks out from this week. Nice. Also, so you checked into Pumpkin, which I would uh, check into I, all day. <laughs> <laughs> the place near me just won't – it's just been on tap the whole time, and, and you know, I'm going to go and – and if it's still there, I'm not going to turn, turn up an opportunity to have one last pumpkin. And apparently, one last pumpkin has been like a whole half a winter of last pumpkin. <laughs> really complain there. Commendable. What do you got, Matt? Uh, Hot Head Red had the Indian Tail Ale. Can't recommend that enough. I actually went to a beer tasting at a uh, local beer store of sorts that just opened up in the North Country in Watertown, actually, in Arsenal Street, if you're listening in the vicinity. A lot of great beers that they have, uh, great selection. And last Friday night, there was a little beer tasting with Southern Tier and Ithaca and uh, Great Lakes. I'm trying to think of who else was there. But uh, had Rogue. The distributor carried Rogue, so they had some Rogue, the Christmas ale. And uh, all... Were very very good. Outside of the Great Lakes, I liked everything I had there that night, and then I ended up picking out some um, of the the red Indian Pale Ale, Half Head Red, which is just to me fantastic beer. It was really really good, and that mostly consisted of my good beer intake. Besides that, and finishing up the uh, some Magic Hat seasonal brew. So, and Magic actually was at uh, the beer tasting that I was at on Friday. I wish I could think of the name of the store. I would plug it. I can't. It's on Arsenal Street. If you listen. And you're in Watertown or Syracuse, that north region. Uh, they've got it's actually a wine, beer, and it has a cigar 
humidor cigar section. So if you are in the area, I recommend it highly, highly. If you have the means, I recommend it. But very happy with what I chose. I love the pale ale, especially IPAs. And this is uh, one that I will get again, so I'm very happy. Nice. Uh, yeah, I know the Hophead Red uh, is the one from Green Flash. I yeah, Green Flash. Yeah, I like a lot of the Green Flashes, I guess. They're, I mean, I'd say they're pretty uh, aggressive, like towards like the hop bomb spectrum, which is fine with me. I know it's not everybody's cup of tea, but it's kind of my thing. Um, I drank a lot this past week, because what else is new? Um, we had a uh, holiday gift, uh, like alcohol exchange with my friends, and uh, I influenced enough people to end up bringing mostly beer which was pretty awesome. Had uh, some Gifts of the Magi, uh, Dark Belgian from Lost Abbey. Um, that was thoroughly enjoyable. Um, had some uh, Transatlantic uh, Creek Lips of Faith uh, from New Belgium. Really, really, um, you know, interesting. Pretty sure it was a land back. Let me double check. One of the better ones I've had. I mean, everything from Lips of Faith. Um, it was pretty fantastic. Um, and then I also got to enjoy um, some El Cedro from Jester King, which uh, was probably the best beer I had uh, all week. Uh, just a really, really, really good farmhouse ale from, uh, from down in Texas. Uh, it's regularly kind of marked as one of the best beers in the area. So for those who are going to be in Houston for the Texas Bowl on either side, you'll get yourself some El Cedro or really anything from Jester King. Um, it's a really, really great company. Um, and, yeah, that's it for me. Um, and I guess we'll have a few minutes at the end to talk some basketball, guys. But uh, I figured I'd let uh, Chris kind of hop off. Uh, Chris, thanks again for joining us. You know, really appreciated the insight. And, obviously, uh, good luck to you guys in the game. Ah, thanks thanks for having me on. It was great. And uh, good luck to you as well. And uh, I'm sure we'll have plenty of fun things to talk about as we lead up to Friday. All right, so now there are three of us, and we're all Syracuse folks. It's time to talk <laughs> basketball briefly before the condescending British woman shows up. <laughs> and don't worry, she's going to. So, um, high point game, the score kind of rushes over some things that weren't that great. Um, I'm not going to get too worked up about it because we still won by 21. It's understandable we had a slow start after a long layoff, but now with another long layoff, what happens to this team against Villanova? Um, I like our chances. I don't think Villanova plays a style of basketball that's really going to um, attack the zone in the interior as much as, like, you need... Like, St. John's wrote the book for how to do that well. Um, and I just don't think it has the personnel, but I could be wrong. Um, Matt, I know... Well, and both of you, I know you both pay attention to uh, Big East basketball a lot more than I do. Um, so I guess we'll start with Matt. What, uh, what do you think Villanova does well enough to... Um, to really start attacking Syracuse and, and giving themselves a chance to win, keeping in mind that we, we we are about 11 minutes away from what is going to be a very annoying countdown. Well, first off, everyone should check out Big East Coast Bias. If you're an old fan of the site, it's back, and somehow they mistakenly let me write for it. So um, <laughs> Big East basketball is still going, and uh, and I do participate. I actually cover St. John's in the site, but I have seen plenty of St. John's. <laughs> I've seen plenty of uh, Villanova so far this season, and uh, especially in the Battle for Atlantis, which was a month ago, roughly, I guess, which seems ridiculous. But a lot of good wins for Nova so far this year. In the Big Five, Atlantis, where they are in the Bahamas, they beat um, the Wildcats, beat Kansas, which, by the way, is going to be a fantastic win for that program later on, and then took the championship against Iowa. I like the guard play. Hart is a really good player. And I think it should be known that Jay Wright is a fantastic coach, and over the years, he's come to the Dome, whether or not Syracuse is highly rated, otherwise, in between, 
Jay Wright's teams always seem to play Syracuse very good or very well or whatever in Syracuse, and no one should be surprised by that fact if if this game is close or not. And furthermore, Villanova is ranked in the top ten. It might be even five. They're, they're so eight. Eight. They're well in the in the Ken Palm Ken Palm Pomeroy's uh, ratings. Yeah. It's like it top eight anyway. And then of course in the AP and the coaches poll top eight. Villanova right now, as it stands, is the highest-ranked non-conference opponent Syracuse will face, which all preseason we talked at length, obviously, about Indiana, the Maui, uh, you know, we, a lot of discussion about even St. John's just being nostalgic and being a decent team. Villanova was a lot of a, an afterthought, especially because the game was at the Dome. But all of a sudden, the Nova Wildcats are the top non-conference foe as we will face. And if you look at the schedule right now going forward, Villanova is, in fact, the t- the highest-ranked opponent Syracuse will, pick, will face this year. You know, obviously that is subject to change, especially with Duke, and who knows what to make of North Carolina. But it's easy to just say, well, Villanova's always been kind of middle-tier type of Big East team, and it's also, you know, easy to say, look at what's ahead, North Carolina, Duke, and other big games for Syracuse. But this is a huge game. Jay Wright is a coach, as I said, that knows how to win at the Dome, um, you know, Hart is one of those players you really have to look for if you're Syracuse, especially in the zone. And really, I want to see what Ennis can do, who's been fantastic all year, just remarkable. But uh, his play this this game will be important. This is not at all one of those just throw it away, SU can beat Villanova because SU's better. It's, it's not going to be that type of game. This is going to be a difficult game for Syracuse. And ultimately, at least as it stands right now, it might be the best non-conference or even conference game Syracuse plays from here on out, at least in the eyes of you know, the casual basketball fan just because of the ranking. It's, this is going to be a really, really interesting game. I'm looking forward to seeing what Syracuse can bring without the student section. There's been some rumblings of, you know, 25,000-plus fans there. I don't think that'll be the case. It'll be a Saturday afternoon game after a week or so, or I guess eight days off. This is not going to be easy. I'm, this is going to be a massive test for SU. And although it's rose to the, ca- uh, the challenge to this point, this is one of those times, again, that it just has to get back off the mat and go. And, and we'll, we'll, I think we'll learn an awful lot about this team in a game most really didn't even care about preseason. Yeah, I think that makes a good point. Um, yeah, To be honest, I think SU fans is, did not care early on, and I think that, that's really turned around a lot. I know um, Chris from over at BU Hoops um, had stopped by a couple weeks ago was <laughs> joking, like, where's all the blind homerism? And you know what? Like, this is not... This is not how, I mean, at least on, you know, the magician, how we operate. I think we're all pretty realistic, and um, we're always waiting for that other shoe to drop, and maybe this is it. Um, Dan, what's your impression of, of Villanova? What do you think um, What do you think they'll be able to exploit in Syracuse? What do you think Syracuse will be able to exploit on their end? Um, well, Syracuse is going to have a significant size advantage. Um, the only true big that, that plays a lot for Villanova is Daniel O'Shea, and even him, he's only on the floor for about 19 minutes a game. Um, he doesn't do a lot on the offensive end, but he, he has solid rebounding numbers. Uh, he can block some shots. Not quite like what we saw last week um, with, uh, oh, God, I'm blanking his name from St. John's. Um, but he's, you know, a presence there. But otherwise, they're just a, a shifty, crafty team, they run about five guards out there um, who all play about 20 minutes a game. Uh, and then Tony Chenault even comes in for about 17. They just rotate through. They stay fresh. Um, they don't have a guy who's going to bomb you out from deep. Um, Josh Hart shoots uh, 40%, but he's only taken 25 threes this year. So he's not um, really a gunner, he, uh, but he can hit them. Uh, Darren Hilliard's probably the most consistently dangerous three-point shooter they have. He shoots about 39%, and he's shot uh, 51 threes this year. And then, obviously, we all know about Ryan Archidiakono, who um, isn't even playing that well. He he leads the team in minutes, but he's only averaging about nine points a game, uh, kind of having a bit of a sophomore slump so far, only shooting 24% from three-point range. But he plays a lot, and he's always liable to hit a big shot, as we saw in our game last year and the Kansas game this year. Um, James Bell's been the guy who's really emerged this year. He had a really nice game against SU last season when he wasn't that huge a player for Villanova, and this year he's just been very good. 
He's averaging 15 points. And then obviously the guy for them is Javon Pinkston, who is going to be, I imagine he'll be on the court almost the whole game. Um, he's one of the only true forwards they have. He's their leading scorer. He's uh, one of their two or three best rebounders. He's kind of a do-everything type player, um, which Villanova always seems to have at the forward position. Uh, so I'm afraid of him. I feel like Jay Wright's going to uh, try to run him at the free, at the around the, uh, the baseline extended or the free throw line and, and have him try to hit open jumpers. Um, and then I, I'm a little concerned about our guard depth because uh, we're going to want Cooney and Ennis out there as much as possible while Villanova can rotate through five or six guys. Um, if Mike Benajay can give us a lift, that'd be great. So it's a, it's a concerning game. I think if Syracuse can find a way to use its size advantage um, and get anything from, from the Rakeem Christmases and Daywan Coleman's of the world, I think that would be a huge boost to SU. Um, and uh, I'm excited. I think it's going to be a fun game. Uh, I actually really enjoy watching Villanova play. I think they're a fun team to watch. Um, so it should be a good one. It's a real clash of styles, and, and I'm sure they're they're happy to be you know, one of the teams that gets to keep on playing SU, uh, and it's a great series, because and it works well for Syracuse as well. So, happy to have it. Didn't expect it to be a top-ten matchup, but here we are. Yeah, you know, I think everyone kind of brought up some interesting points. Um, this uh, Villanova team is weird, um, in, in a way that worries me, at least. Um, you know, you can't really write a book on them. By the way, there's, there's no... The consistency in how they win games. I mean, they've won, they've won some real brawls. They've won, you know, some high-scoring affairs, uh, and I think that could be kind of something interesting. For, I haven't watched um, a ton of Villanova film this year, but um, I'm sure the coaching staff is breaking it down. Uh, you know, that's probably one of the first things they hit on is that this team can beat you in a variety of ways. And uh, Dan kind of hit on Pinkston as as kind of jack of all trades, and I think you know he's the guy that we're going to key in on. Um, if if we let if we let our size advantage slow us down, I think that's going to be a huge issue because I think it's going to start slowing down the pace of the game, uh, which is never a good thing for us. Um, and I think you know just the centers need to play well. If the centers need to play well. We need to um, stop allowing second chance baskets. You know Villanova is going to run the ball uh, pretty well. So what we need to do is obviously clean up on the glass. Don't let them get second chance points. Because um, these things, we've seen it with other teams that run similar offenses before. Um, it's just these quick scores. I mean, you know, with Baylor and Cal, if they'd act, if the shots had landed, like might have had better chances against us. But I feel like Villanova, maybe not the same exact team, but has some similarities. Um, and if their shots are going to fall at a greater rate than, than either of those two opponents, then, then we might be looking at, you know, a bit of a dogfight at the end. And that's fine. Um, I, I I think we'll win. I have faith that we'll win. Um, but we're gonna, you know, it, I I like having a test like St. John's and Villanova like right up before conference play, so that we're not just coasting in um, and then you know getting surprised by a really god awful team like Miami or Virginia Tech or something like that. Like I'd much rather have like you know two strong tests and a bunch of other like, like character building wins in Maui and against Indiana. Um, I really like, you know, the kind of shape this team is in, rounding into going into conference play versus kind of trying to find its sea legs. I mean, we remember a couple years ago the whole, like, facing no one and then, like, struggling through the first, like, four or five Big East games and losing to Providence at DePaul or something stupid. So, um, thank you, British woman. (laughs) So I guess with that, uh, we'll do a quick uh, quick wrap-up. Um, parting thoughts from, from either of you on Texas Bowl or, or Hoops this, uh, this coming SU Bonanza weekend? It's a good time of the year. It's a good time for SU. Another bowl game, win or lose, and, of course, another top five, top two basketball team. I think everyone should be pretty pretty amped up for the direction of both programs, especially we all know Bam's a great coach, great winner, Hall of Famer, everything else, but each each day it seems like another recruiting coup comes Syracuse's way on the hoop side of things. And on the football side, I've written it, I've said it a bunch here, I think SU is definitely in the right hands with Schaefer, and just the mere fact that it gets to play in this game is just a huge thing. So enjoy Friday, enjoy Saturday, and then get ready for another, what seems to be another good year for SU. 
Dan? Yeah, same same here. Excited for the weekend. It's it's one of the better overall weekends I think we've had in a while. Um, and we already got it kicked off with the Rodeo Bowl win, so uh, we should be able to coast and take some two here. We we won the important one. <laughs> the Rodeo Bowl is all that matters. All right, everyone. So uh, with that, I think we'll close it out. Uh, <laughs> thanks for listening to Syracuse Sports Make Me Drink. I'm John. That's Dan and Matt. And uh, we'll see you next time, everyone. Go Cues. And a Merry Christmas. Good night, America. Bye, everyone. I'm Jay Farner, CEO of Quicken Loans, America's premier home purchase lender. We've created a new way to protect you from unpredictable interest rates. Our exclusive rate shield approval. First, we lock your interest rate for up to 90 days. Then, if rates go up, your rate stays locked. But if rates go down, your rate drops. Either way, you win. Call us today at 800-QUICKEN or go to rocketmortgage.com. Racial approval only valid on certain 30-year fixed rate loans. Call for cost information and conditions. Equal housing lender. License in all 50 states. NMLS number 3030. Additional conditions or exclusions may apply. At Jared, we know devotion isn't a once-a-year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted.